So in your opinion, what's the what's the crown jewel of Discovery Plus? Soon to be HBO Max, Warner Plus, Magnolia. <laughs> well, you mean other than the obvious choice of Fixer Upper? Eh, isn't isn't that relationship like the content rights with that tenuous? Like, is, isn't because I thought the whole thing with um, Discovery Plus is that the Magnolia. <laughs> I was gonna say the Magnolia silo. The Magnolia <laughs> um, segment of it is. Like wasn't like a it's like a one year deal or something or it's like a, it's a preview, or is that just that they don't have enough content to call it an actual network yet? Is Magnolia Network not wholly owned by Discovery? I I've thought just, it was. I have no idea. I mean, you're, you're more tuned into this than I am, but I always thought that there was something iffy about it because it was pitched as being a preview of Magnolia Network. Well, that that was when Discovery Plus first launched because Magnolia Network wasn't a thing yet, but now it is. But Discovery Plus has only been out for like four months, right? Yeah. So they they did like the first month that Discovery Plus was out. They did some fixer-upper episodes, and I think they did a couple of other kind of sneak peek things from Magnolia Network shows with the premise then being that the full Magnolia Network, including some additional fixer-upper episodes, would be available in... I think it came out in July. Okay, so it's it's fully up and running now. Correct. Yeah, and it's it's like we think we talked about this on the show too. It's it's confusing because Magnolia Network is a standard, you know, linear TV cable channel now. It is also a new section on Discovery Plus and it's also available in its own app where like all you get is well yeah magnolia the, networks well i guess maybe that was my confusion because i was it, it was rumored or like alleged alleged that it was going to be like they thought it could stand on its own as its own streaming service like magnolia just that video content was going to be like billable at five dollars a month well that that's what it is i think you can get the magnolia network in its own app for five bucks a month but isn't but- discovery plus only like seven well, that's yeah. That that's why it's somewhat odd, is you can pay like two bucks more a month and you know get the mm-hmm. entire back catalog of chopped. So it, well, I it mean, seems, and, seems like a win win. Well, yeah, and again, you you have the um, you have like you have like that's like the Showtime Lakers. You have the trio. You've got you've got JoJo. You've got Guy Fieri, and you've got um, that that dude who we'll talk about in a second. The the um. Is his name Alton Brown? No, who who's mm-hmm. who's no? But I don't think that's who I'm thinking of. Who's who's the the slender dude? Who's the host of Chopped? Ted Allen. So that that's the, that's the trifecta. That's 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 the trio that's going to carry forward the morass and un uh, the the rudderless uh, ship that is HBO Max. Because again, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> other than Jason Kylar uh, making everything uh, day and date for this year. HBO Max still seems like I, I think I'm going to cancel it because I, I don't watch John Oliver anymore. And I honestly like whenever I go into it to just think like, is there something I should watch on this? I just close it. I don't like it. It's very difficult to find something if you don't want it or sorry, so if, if you, you don't know exactly what you want. Sorry. Would you just dis- subscribe when like a new season of succession is on and then cancel again? <sighs> oh, yeah, okay. Correct. Yeah. That, that is the only show. It's that better call Saul and those are the only two shows that I watch or that I care about. Mm-hmm. Well, and Ted Lasso. Well, that currently falls off a truck, so I'm mad at Apple. 
Okay. So, but, but the, the whole, this whole roundabout thing was because we were going to talk about this page that I've had bookmarked in my private Slack channel for a year, maybe. Cause I, I didn't have anything to open the show this week. It's okay. We're all allowed off weeks. Um, 19 hilarious chopped, uh, sorry, quote unquote chopped memes that are guaranteed to make you LOL from buzzfeed.com. So with these, a lot of these have been deleted cause this is really old. But the one that I really liked, because I think this is, um, it's item three, because it, I think it, it, it crosses class and like network lines. Like this could, this could apply to anybody on Top Chef, somebody who's on like a very, very fancy upscale, like Netflix cooking show, um, that's targeting kind of that like Michelin star demographic and also to Chopped, which is, uh, the, the allure, um, and the siren song of making risotto on on a cooking show on tv that has a time Mm -hmm. limit right i like this and again this is go this goes to one of my favorite meme formats which is the the um italian dude checking out another woman while his girlfriend is mad (laughs) and um does that have name uh because there's another one that's the same exact format i think we might have talked about on the show where it's um the he's that guy is looking longingly at a semicolon and then his girlfriend the caption on her is every other appropriate punctuation mark <laughs> and that speaks to a very particular type of person with one of which is me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so i just wanted to clarify a couple of the of these what is the one so number yeah give me some numbers here so i think there were like two or three that i thought were interesting or that i need more clarification explain to me number 12 Number twelve, and I'll cue it up. Uh, the the text says, "Judge, your just your dish tastes very bad." Uh, chef, I had a really tough life. <laughs> Ted, thank you, chef. Yeah, that, what, does that it, does, what does it mean? That does happen sometimes. They, they it's obviously. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's an edited show, right? It's it's cut together. You know, presumably there's something like I'm guessing. You know, well over an hour or two of footage that they you know cut down into. It's an hour long show, so forty. It's forty or whatever. That's with a whole yeah. lot of ads for. Yeah, and and you know the, the editing is is normally fine, like during the competition part. But then when it comes to the judging part, they they sort of try to intermix Ted, first name basis, um, <laughs> talking to the contestants, like usually you know asking them about their background or whatever, but then you know immediately also having their dish judged, and and sometimes the editing there gets. A little weird where you you have a situation like what's in this meme got it number 14 and this is uh, this is coming from anna kendrick is famous right yes isn't she the one that was in the the pitch perfect pitch perfect movies she was mm-hmm. yeah um because this, this also brings together something else which is i forget it's chopped the one where they have like a bunch of random artificial constraints some sometimes and usually it's just you know the ingredients are the twist but then yeah sometimes they'll throw in some other gimmicks too yeah and her 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 tweet is i don't know how contestants on chop stop themselves from saying yeah it tastes bad because you made me cook with a pile of garbage because <laughs> i'm because i because i it's cutthroat kitchen that's, that's the dumb one right like the one never, that's i've it, never watched that one but i think it's one where it's like intentionally like sabotage like oh hey plan your meal except now we take away half your utensils and, and your cooking implements and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and then what was the last one? Eh, you know what? Yeah, I think, I think we'll call it, we'll call it a night. This isn't really 
a meme so much as just something mm -hmm. that kind of makes me irrationally angry when I watch Chopped. Well, not angry enough to stop watching. <laughs> no, well, actually, we I can't really can't even tell you the last time I watched Chopped. But I, well, you you were all about it for like three years for a while. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but not so much anymore. But anyway, um, back you know when I when I used to watch Chopped, whenever a contestant would make a hash. Because that's it's really that's just a euphemism for I I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do so I'm just gonna throw everything in a pan, and I I never I never cared for that. So and there, the, one of these memes is is somewhat similar to that it, it, number sixteen that gets at the idea of when a contestant calls something deconstructed, which also generally means yeah I didn't really make the thing I wanted to make. So oh so it's got the flavors but it doesn't actually look like anything. Yeah right. Or, you know, mm -hmm. there's there's a component or something or a technique that's missing from it. And so then, yeah, then it becomes a deconstructed dish. Uh, wasn't intending to push this any further, but number 15, is it uh, frequent that a, uh, a contestant cuts themselves? Yeah, that does. That does happen a fair bit. <laughs> More that so than it seems to happen in a lot of other cooking shows, which I assume is yep. a function of the, you know, people. Talent level. Or, or like no, experience level? No, I'd say the, the, I think the time crunch on Chop is like, more like, extreme than it is on a lot of other cooking shows. I, I've been out of the out of the game with Top Chef for a while, but I feel like there's only ever like injuries, like once a season, maybe. Uh, yeah, that's that's about right. This last season, one of the contestants like hurt his knee. It was kind of strange. They, they had like this outdoor. <laughs> um episode and they they had to pick fruit from this field and he he like stepped on like a root or something weird and like actually i think i like, had to have surgery like it was it was not it was not good oh because he was from oakland too it was kind of a bummer mm -hmm. and a basket ingredient is used solely for garnish yeah it seems, it seems cheap. <laughs> yeah that happens okay all right, well let's let's actually let's keep in the family with our with friend of the show Guy Fieri. So mm. he made news. I I don't actually have the doc up, so I <laughs> I just remember this because I'm. Oh, kind I got I got some I got some links. Don't you worry. Thank you. So um, actually, can you tee this up? Because I I've just all I have in my head is the picture of uh, well you 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 please cue it up. Okay, I'll I'll tee it up here so that we'll have this cbssports.com link. In the notes, and then we'll also put the Colbert clip in the notes too. Um, so I guess the background with this this special hot dog that that Guy Fieri's made is that Major League Baseball. I, I think I had heard about this when this originally was announced a couple years ago, but I had kind of forgotten about it. It's kind of neat. So they they've made like a recreation of the f uh, field that's in Field of Dreams, the movie. And they're gonna play like a an actual like regular season game uh, tomorrow as we're recording this Thursday the twelfth um, on on the field. Why? And it, it, well, I to, to gin up interest in baseball, I presume. But but I don't, but I don't but, know. but uh, I've never seen Field of Dreams because I believe it's a movie from like nineteen eighty seven. Is, yeah, is, is, is 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 who? Because I thought baseball's issue was that they were having difficulty attracting a younger crowd and i'm not really sure they're super like that the millennials and the gen z's are super jazzed up about a kevin costner movie well i'm not i'm not sure that um 
major league baseball executives have ever been accused of being super plugged into uh, the younger generation, which I, I think, think might speak to the problem. I think Bob Manfred knows what people want to see. <laughs> well, he did, he did get Guy Fieri to partner on this thing. So maybe he is on to something. I think Guy Fieri has never known a, a, a sack of money he's wanted to turn down. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. He like, again, he, he's like, um, I don't know who, who was, who's thinking about it, but like he, he knows how to get paid. He does, yeah. Um, He's very much like Taylor Swift in that regard. True, right. Um, which, you know, speaking of, this is, in, this is of course, in a partnership with, um, you know, iconic food brand Chevrolet. Because <laughs> <laughs> they uh, are as American as apple pie, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, for this game, um, Guy Fieri has created the apple pie hot dog. And there's, there's a lot happening here. So again, this will all be, this will all be in the notes, which I encourage people to review the links for. So the the first thing that stood out to me um, when this was sent to me earlier today was that in the um, promotional video that guy put on Twitter for this, which is embedded in this CBS sports article, he's wearing a a t-shirt that appears to have been specially made to commemorate the apple pie hot dog, which has some like creepy looking cartoon characters on it. One of a baseball, one of a hot dog and one of a slice of apple pie. And then of course a big Chevrolet logo. So I really appreciated that. And then I guess the other big thing to break down is that it, this thing is, this thing is um, a mixed bag, I guess upon kind of, initial inspection like i i'm not opposed to the idea like when you tell when like when i saw the phrase apple pie hot dog i i didn't immediately balk at it but it it doesn't look quite like what you'd expect it to like it's kind of like a mix between like a hot pocket and a pig in a blanket Mm mm-hmm and and the the big question mark for me is it it has something oh, drizzled over the top of it that's referred to as an apple mustard <laughs> which i have a lot of questions about right, so I'm, I'm watching this video i do like his 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 fork crimping style yeah mhm mhm um apple mustard ooh yeah no I'm that's not, the, not... The, well, that's a spoiler that that that's not I thought I thought he was supposed to wait until the iPhone event to talk about that. Sorry. <laughs> God damn it. Um, ba- Ooh, it's topped in bacon. No. Wait, maybe? I, well, I'm, it's... it's No, it has... No, I know it um, is. Like, I'm watching the video at the 40-second mark. It is topped with bacon. But I'm trying to think well, is that a good thing has, or a bad thing. But it has bacon jam inside of it, too, which I I actually had like hamburgers and stuff with bacon jam. And it, it's usually pretty good. But in a in an apple pie thing, I, I have questions about that, too. Oh I mean, this this falls into the category of, I guess, what a lot of weird food and drink items do for me, which is if this was presented in front of me, I would try it. I'm not above it, but I. I'd be skeptical of it. Yeah. So I'll send you a link. So I initially wanted to throw this out like wholesale 
because as we've covered in in our some of our dessert discussions uh fruit based pie in general is gross but fruit ba- uh, fruit based pies are much much worse but this is this is when you looked at it in upon closer examination this is much more a pastry crust uh forward uh pigs in a blanket type situation and i'm and i i'm as i say all about that life like it's it if if you class it up and you get maybe like a louisiana hot link or you make it not just like your standard like farmer john's 60 pack costco like just bundle of meat that's barely (laughs) counts as meat according to the fda like if you get some good hot dogs or some good sausages and you like the the photo that you'll put in the show notes is is uh, mummy dogs from last Halloween. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you if you class it up, there's nothing wrong with a hot dog or, or a pig in a blanket. And this is intriguing because um, have you ever tried to make uh, homemade pop tarts? I have not. No, it's an interesting thing to try. Um, it's 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 a worthwhile experiment to ultimately be upset with how you spent your Sunday, but you yeah, you should give it a go. I think you you have enough know how between you and your wife where you can make it work. But don't you is that do you have to make like puff pastry for that? It's been a couple of years. I I just settle using like like the, these mummy dogs that I made are it's it's just Pillsbury uh, crescent roll dough because it isn't done, like, very, done very nicely. Yeah, because like doesn't like pastry dough is sort of like sort of like if you try to like make your own pasta where it's like it's a ton of work and you're very unlikely mm. to make a better version than you can just buy at the store i I don't remember if it's like phyllo dough or something like I'm, I'm sure you can do something or you can go to the berkeley bowl or you can go to where whatever fancy um uh grocery store you have around you can find something that'll help you make this but yeah i i don't hate this immediately i would just ask them to to hold any like to just not put the apple mustard on there not that I think you, you defend Guy, I think, if if you try to order it that you way. You know, he's he's from the Bay. He he knows about fussy eaters. He like he's basically our neighbor, right? Uh, doesn't he? Doesn't he, live, doesn't he live in Sonoma or something? Uh, up up near Santa Rosa, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, these cartoon characters at the fifty second mark of this video is they're you know, they're, a little, they're little upsetting. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I do <laughs> I do like the shirt though. I. I, I, Didn't you I'm legitimately actually, buy a Flavortown shirt? I, I sure did. I'm actually, Have you worn it ever? Of course, yeah. It's one of my... Um, to, to, to what? It's a sleeping you, shirt. I was going to ask, like, have you been to any, like, uh, what, what are they called? Baptisms? Like, it, it, seem, it seems like a very, like that. You could try to go all in and just wear it to a very inappropriate occasion. And the people think, No, I, would, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But in this um, Fieri tweet, I, I like the part where he says, this thing is dynamite. Hashtag ad. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ash Chevrolet. <laughs> of course, I'm I'm on the um, official Guy Fieri store where they do still have yeah. the Flavor Town shirt I yeah, bought, but they before. they sadly do not sell this apple pie hot dog shirt. What's Guy Fieri's middle name? You get three <laughs> guesses. <laughs> I I I give up on my three guesses what is it ramsey ramsey never in a million years would i guess that no but it it works huh i would have figured guy fieri's a lot taller than me he's not okay (laughs) big personality 
And of course, under people always ask, how much does Guy Fieri make per episode of Diners, Drive, and the Dives? How much does Guy Fieri make a year? Probably a lot. What is Bobby Flay's net worth? Get out of here, Bobby Flay. <laughs> and Bobby Flay's holding a cat? Okay. Nope, nope, nope. Close that down. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, clear your browsing history after that one. Yeah, yeah. Command Y. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> I know it well. Um, sometimes you forget to do the shift command N fast enough. Yeah. Uh, where did, so what, this, you did some traveling recently, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't remember cause we've talked about this and I forget under what context we've talked about, um, traveling with like a streaming stick or, um, that. So yeah. So tell me what you learned about Roku this month. Well, so the, the, the context that I had had at the time was I had traveled with my little Roku Express 4K streaming stick, but the hotel that I had taken it in just didn't have any sort of like captive portal that you needed to log into. You could just, you just log into the Wi-Fi. Um, but this past weekend, I took it to a different hotel, which did have one of those, you know, is it, is it captive pages? Am I, is that the right phrase to use here? Mm-hmm. Captive portal. Mm-hmm. Captive portal where you had to, you know, enter like your last name and your room number in order to get onto the, the Wi-Fi network. And when I was looking into this, this Roku Express 4K stick thing, I, I was curious how that worked, like if it supported being able to do that, because I knew that kind of a primary use case for this thing was going to be in hotels. And oftentimes hotel Wi-Fi does have these captive portals. And Sure enough, the the um, Roku support site, which this link will be in the notes too, has an article about their hotel and dorm connect feature, which, you know, I was a little skeptical of when I read about it. But yeah, again, this was not a very expensive purchase. So I'm like, well, even if it's a little flaky, whatever, it'd be fine. So I tried it out for the first time this weekend and it it's pretty great. Like you you go to connect to the hotel Wi-Fi, it, it somehow like figures out that there's a captive portal because it it brought up a little dialogue box that was like hey do you want you know do you want to use the hotel and dorm connect feature i don't know if it just does that when it's like on on an iphone if you ever it'll automatically try to make a to go to example.apple.com and if it can't get if it gets redirected it knows that it's not able to make an outbound connection but it knows that there's some type of active wi-fi so I assume yeah, that's what so it does. They're like a Chromebook. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's probably right. Um, so what it has you do is you say, yep, that's what I want to do. I want to connect to a hotel Wi-Fi. It has you go to your phone, and then it has you connect directly to the Roku stick, which then starts broadcasting its own little Wi-Fi signal. You do that. Once that connection's made, Safari automatically opens on your iPhone to the captive portal page. You enter your information, click submit, and then somehow, this part of it's a little bit of a mystery to me too, somehow then that gets the Roku stick on the internet. So it's like kind of like how you set up a, an Amazon Echo. Yeah, kind of. So that, uh, that actually doesn't make sense to me. So what, so sorry, which product were you using when you did this? Like just to, like Google it. What, what is it called? It's the Roku express or roku 4k express roku okay. express 4k roku express 4k so i guess why couldn't this plus why, why does your phone have to be involved like why couldn't it just throw do roku's not have a browser built in 
Well, so when I first started reading about this feature, that's what I assumed it would do was it would have some kind of little web view screen that was basically just a little mini browser that was built into it, but it doesn't. Because it feels like this would be much harder. Like, it does. I feel, right? I feel like it'd be like you're asking your average person to like connect to use your smartphone to connect to an ad hoc Wi-Fi network being broadcast by your Roku. Not that it's that difficult, but that concept is also is is kind of confusing. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a roundabout way to do it. I mean, it's cool that it works, but that. The, the the part of it that's a little bit of a mystery to me is is that last part of when the Safari page opens to enter that it pulls up the captive portal, just like if you were you know trying to access that same Wi-Fi network just you know, on your phone. Mm-hmm. It's unclear to me how those credentials get passed to the roku oh maybe what it's doing is that it's technically at that point because you're connecting to the roku itself the authenticated session belongs to the mac id of the roku Mm, so therefore you're just it's kind of like you were plugging in a router and you were just that was a computer to like complete the initial login yeah i guess so but it's i guess that still doesn't seem like the easiest or the most straightforward way to do it though no, but it but it worked the first try and it was really fast and I I was impressed. So how does it forget? Well, actually, it wouldn't really matter because it would still remember what your home network was and went. Okay, I guess yeah, it, it just ha- it just kind of has a running list of re- you know remembered Wi-Fi networks. Got it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that that Roku stick um, continues to be a good little good little travel purchase. Oh, and this was another side question that that I had had about it, but that you answered offline. But we'll, we'll let the listeners in on this. I I didn't know like if HDMI because I've never used a like strictly like an HDMI stick. Um, it's always been like an Apple TV type thing. Or I think at one point I had a Roku, but it was one of the ones that was still kind of a box. HDMI apparently does not supply power, so I guess how do you power this? So you you do it through your favorite port, micro USB, uh-huh. and you can plug the other end into one of two things. You can plug it into the TV itself if it has a USB port, which which most most TVs do. Like even the hotel we were in this last weekend had a what looked like to be a pretty old, like an older kind of HD TV, and it had a USB port on it. And those, that supplies enough power. Um, or the the um, stick itself does come with a little USB power brick, too, that you can plug into the wall and then plug a USB cable from that to the stick. But you'd, or, have, to remember, you know, you'd have to remember to carry that with you, though. Well, or pl- you plug it into one of the other you know million USB brick things that you probably travel with. Yeah, I mean, but hopefully, like in most people's like away suitcase they're they're exercising as much micro usb stuff as they can yeah because we made some decent headway and stuff turning usb-c over the past couple of years yeah we're we're getting there um but yeah so far so far the two times i've used the roku stick the tv that i've plugged it into has had usb so that's how i've powered it got it okay um new business all right. Uh item 1 done. <laughs> uh, 
can we can we can we shuffle this real quick? Sure. I kind of don't feel like I'm talking about Apple immediately right off the bat. So let's let's talk about something that you were super jazzed about, and I feel like maybe you're maybe less jazzed about now. How are the Olympics 2020 for you? I mean, they were fine. They were the Olympics. I I always like the Olympics. Probably more. I mean, definitely more than you. Probably even maybe more than the average TV viewer. I I, I really like the Olympics. So and they were you know they were fine this year. I mean the 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 no fan thing it was weird mostly because there's been this weird thing which is a very U.S. centric kind of view where you know a year ago a little over a year ago like when sports started coming back for the first time during covid and there were you know universally just empty stadiums and arenas like that was weird for a while and then it then you kind of started to get used to it and then it was like when fans started coming back especially like this spring and early summer like then that was weird again for a while like you'd gotten used to the empty arenas and then, you know, now, especially like with the NBA playoffs, where, you know, basically every team was, you know, full capacity again and everything, I was getting used to that again. And then so then to go back to the empty stadiums and arenas was a bummer. And it's it, it's particularly true for the Olympics because, you know, the host city builds these enormous, beautiful stadiums and gyms and everything and it's they're just they're just empty which was that was weird well so do two quick follow-up questions because i didn't i didn't watch a minute a minute of it was there any fake crowd noise like they kind of like most u.s sports after like a month of empty stadiums kind of found out how to do that very much not okay like to the point where especially like during the gymnastics events the the only really other people allowed in the venues were like other athletes like athletes that were in the kind of the bubble they could they could go to other events and so you like on tv you'd like literally hear these like small sections of people's you know countrymen cheering for them like there was no yeah no other no other crowd noise at all i like that term it's very specific countrymen Mm -hmm. um and then i already probably know the answer to this but i'm assuming there was no like cardboard cutouts no, no, they they didn't do any of that. There's the, literally nothing. It was just, it's just all eerie empty stadium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hmm. and the you know the the Olympics. One of the things that they do, sort of like presentation wise, right, is like in every other sport now, and every other professional sport, you know, the court, the field, whatever, the stands, like are just littered with advertising and you know big flashy screens and stuff. And the Olympics has been the same way ever since I've been a little kid starting to watch it is you know, it's it's so there's no there's no advertising there's just generally a sparse you know that's always just city name yeah it's like always, yeah it's like just Beijing 2016 or whatever it's just all like all the stuff where you might see an ad for like Dubai Air if you're uh, watching Ted Lasso or or anything else like it's always just been very much the on-brand event logo there's never been like it's always any advertising it's always been either superimposed by nbc or the the television channel or it's it's never on the field right yeah um and so yeah i mean yeah, it was it, it was weird in that regard but i mean there was you know obviously nothing anybody could really do about that part of it um and you know i, I we talked about this a couple of weeks ago like i 
I, I feel like I was more optimistic than than most about how NBC handled its coverage, and I I still feel that way now that now that the Olympics are over. Like, yeah, I think they probably could have consolidated maybe everything down to like just traditional NBC and Peacock, and maybe cut out some of the other channels and streaming services. But I don't We're, know. Other than that, it it seemed fine to me. I know NBC Universal splits it across like you'll just have random events on like USA and CNBC and Telemundo and stuff. But are you wait, sorry, were there multiple streaming services involved? Well, yeah, cuz some stuff was on like nbcolympics.com <laughs> and then some other stuff was on the NBC Sports app. Why? I just, that, like, that's, was there, was yeah, there literally that's... any rhyme or reason? No, that's the part of it that that was weird, especially and we I mean we got into this a couple of weeks ago, like you know the whole vision for the peacock launch, you know back when this was supposed to happen in 2020 was that the Olympics were going to be the kind of big way that NBC promoted peacock. So I I don't know if maybe those plans changed or something given that peacock ended up being out for you know a year before the Olympics actually happened. So I don't know if like in the alternate reality when the Olympics happened in 2020 if there would have been more of a focus on Peacock or not but um but yeah I mean the the content was a bit scattered um and Jason Snell pointed this out on an episode of Upgrade which is something I missed um so I mentioned that Peacock was doing that like kind of cool like alternate primetime broadcast thing where mm-hmm. It was almost kind of like an NFL red zone style, kind of just quick, quick flipping around the games, like showing you highlights, a little bit more lighthearted than than the traditional broadcast thing. It was, which is all, it was really, really well done. But there was this stupid thing where you had to watch it live. There was no way to start it from the beginning if you were jumping in midstream, and there was no way to watch it after the fact. Like it was just this streaming thing that just went away when it was done, which was was so stupid. Like everything else on Peacock, like the event specific stuff they had on there, you could go back and watch after the fact. It was all archived. But that for whatever reason, the the Tokyo Now show, I think is what they called it. How many times a day was it? It was like I think they I think they did like one in the morning and one in the evening, something like that. Mm, Okay. I don't know, it was weird. I was gonna say like they should have archived one a day, but if it's if they weren't if like if this wasn't an hourly thing, then okay, then I guess maybe I'm more sympathetic to your point. But I guess like I just would want to know like like why because it because it was it was a decision made because you know, Peacock had the technology to have on demand programming. They showed that with everything else Olympic coverage wise that they had on there, but that one show they chose to be this live only thing, and I just. I just I don't know what the like the strategy behind that would be. Yeah, S- strange. Well, um, so so we're talking about we're talking around uh one of the the bigger things uh which is that the uh the Times reports that uh NBC Universal um logged uh 15 and a half million viewers a night in the US, which is the least watched uh Summer Olympics uh in 33 years. I believe this was down 35%, down 42% so, versus uh, Rio. So to to be clear, though, like, I guess, like, I'm not like this 15 and a half million viewer number that the New York Times article cites. Like, what what exactly does that measure? Like, I know that it's Average everybody night. watching traditional NBC, 
But like, what else does that include? I think, if that's, anything? I think that's it. But also because they, they again, I, I didn't watch it. I don't have a lot of knowledge here, but I assume the marquee events were not like shuffled off onto like CNBC. Well, they, they were. I mean, that, that was something I don't think NBC like the, got enough credit for. Was the marquee all... events were on oh, yeah. the sub channel? Well, then why, why? What was on the main channel? Well, because so like, so the, the, the gymnastics events were, were the best example of this because they were all happening during the evening Tokyo time, which meant that they were happening at like 1, 2 a.m. Pacific time every night. And you could watch all of those events live on either one of the streaming services or on one of their other TV channels. I think it, it kind of just depended on the event and the night. And then they would, sh they would show it again, you know, what, like 18 hours later um, during the NBC broadcast um, well, yeah. as well. Well, but that's kind of been the thing where, I mean, other than Rio, which Brazil falls within reasonable, like East Coast, West Coast, like, time shifting parameters but whenever it's been far away like when what was uh when were the beijing olympics or was that the winter olympics of 2018 was, so beijing was the 2008 summer olympics and they're going to host the winter olympics next year so what were the who was 20 oh no 2012 was london right C correct yeah i mean i guess like the ones that have more dramatic um time zone differences that's was isn't that the thing that NBC always gets yelled at for? Is that oh why aren't you showing these? And then like we already all know the results. The internet exists, but like for comparability purposes, they kind of always do that of 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 doing time shifted stuff in prime time for the most important events. Like I I, I guess I just don't entirely buy saying that people were so um, predisposed to watching on an over the top surface or like. I, I feel like the viewership numbers um, or like daily active users on Peacock are probably not really material. I don't know. Like I, I uh, people going elsewhere to get this and that's somehow um, like I, I have no skin in the game or I don't I, I don't care what the viewership numbers are. But I, I don't think the fractured audience or the advent of streaming services is why viewership was down. No, I don't. I don't think that's the entire story either. I mean, particularly because we've we have a year's worth of data now, where sports ratings, ever since sports started coming back last summer, have been down significantly. Um, I mean, like you know, the the and the NBA is another data point that we've had recently, where ratings for the finals were were up quite a bit compared to um 2020 but we're still significantly down from 2019 so there there's there's been a a big decline in um viewership during during the pandemic which is just you know one of a million things i've i've kind of predicted to myself incorrectly during all of this where i i would have thought that sports would have been like a huge thing when it started coming back just with you know people excited to have sports back and you know, just basically being at home and finally having like this live content to watch again, but that's proved to totally not be the case. And I, I, I yeah. would love to like read a good article that sort of explains some of the theories behind that. Like, I, I do I wonder just, if part of it is a simple explanation of it's, it's just it's weird to watch live sports when there's like either empty venues like there were with the Olympics, or I mean. 
you know, I mentioned earlier, I did kind of start to get used to seeing like crowds again, like during the NBA playoffs. But there was also kind of a weird part about that too, where it's like, well, there's, there's like still the pandemic happening. And it's, it's kind of weird that there's like 19,000 people all packed together in this building. Yeah, we, we, we should tangle that for a future day. But like, that is one thing where I kind of like, there, like there, there's like everybody like was saying, oh, we, we need sports back because it's going to get people who are doing the right thing at home to have something to watch. But I kind of, I kind of get it. Like I, I just sports don't matter that much anymore because I feel like sports are like the ultimate multi-platform omni-channel experience where the reason you want to watch sports is because you were walking downtown and you passed the sports arena and you saw this advertising and you were listening to a podcast or the radio on your phone during your regular commute and you heard X commentator talking about why the highlight from the previous night. Like, I just feel like I, I, I don't understand all the folks that are like, well, yeah, we need sports and sports. Like if nobody has anything else to do, sports should be doing gangbusters right now, but they're not because the entire ecosystem that makes sports work isn't really in place right now. And people, I'm not saying that everybody is like just sitting by the, the phone or the radio and is just like worried about like variants. And it's just like constantly on edge. I just think like, it's it's just not the right time for it. So I like I I entirely buy that people aren't watching sports the same way they used to, and I don't think it's the eeriness of empty stadiums. It's just the why why should anybody care right now? Because sports feel kind of unnecessary. Is that out of line? Like I mean, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not I, saying I, that I people totally, like should I that they shouldn't that. happen, but just who cares? Like, I, like the thing that's in, like, I know we're in much more of a known quantity in terms of the economy and employment and a whole lot of other stuff. And the, this, this country and the world have a lot, a lot of problems right now. But, like, I just, I don't think people think of sports as that distraction, but people also have enough other shit going on where nobody really cares that um, the, the, the Vikings had two touchdown conversions are those words that make sense maybe but i, I just don't think anybody, i don't think anybody cares and i don't think sports are very important and also like and just personally like the olympics were so far out of my head where sometimes i'll like i'll tune in i'll care but like just this was this was not the year for it and i i, I don't i don't need it so therefore that's where the whole thing of like the viewership being down by like 40 percent makes total sense uh it's it's fine Weird times. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, I follow that, and I, I agree with with everything you just said. But unfortunately, um, football is going to be back any any day now, so it's, it's all bad. Um, I, I mean, this, maybe this this is maybe a longer topic for a different day, but I, it, like, I do sort of wonder, like, is this permanent? You know, the, yeah, like, given everything Probably. you just said, like, who cares? Because if it's if it is sort of a permanent thing or a very long-term thing say like live sports have been sort of the one thing that you know tv cable companies have been holding on to here and if, if they've lost that then that is really gonna i think shake things up a bit so yeah so do me, do, do me a favor put that in the in the parking lot but this goes on to kind of to quickly round it out like there's two big things that we've been talking about against like the arguments against cord cutting is that 
like ESPN is the linchpin of the cable bundle and live sports are the only reason why somebody's not going to cut the cord. But as you've seen with kind of ESPN plus being this kind of thing that hosts like tertiary or I don't think that's the right word, but like just like not top tier sports and that kind of, as you go down the line of what people care about, like you get stuff that has less concentrated and more niche audiences where I think Jason Snow was talking about this on upgrade, which is just like ESPN three, not, not, not ESPN three. What's, what's the thing called? What's the part of the Disney bundle? ESPN plus. Isn't it? Yeah. ESPN plus is like, the thing is not that you're going to have the Panthers playing the Oilers or whatever there that you're going to see. Um, uh, Iowa state play Eastern Florida, U on, on, on college baseball. Like it, I like you, you eventually get to a point where sports audiences are fractured enough where kind of maybe the whole thing of like this super broad reaching events aren't really there. Like I, I keep, and again, this is just more of a selfish thing, like kind of hoping that like football implodes, but the, like the standard 20 game NFL season seems like kind of the only thing that attracts that same universal audience where like it, even the NBA is, isn't really doing it anymore. And, um, bubble viewership was down finals viewership was mostly down until the very very end right well the yeah so i mean final the finals ratings like last year in 2020 were were crazy low and then they came back a bit this year but we're still like i was saying earlier still down a lot compared to even 2019 yeah all right so that's 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 another another year another week um related to this Actually, I don't remember. The, oh, I don't remember putting this in here. Peacock has forty-five, fifty-four million signups, but that doesn't mean anything because it's free. Um. Uh, can 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 I can we do a quick uh, check-in on YouTube TV? Yeah, please. Uh, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Um. Why well, I? I, <laughs> I guess I can go first because my part's short. Um. I, I'm still enjoying YouTube TV. I do still need to ugh, do the thing where I call Comcast to cancel my cable TV, which is going to be an annoying. Well, that's a big development. Um, You're 100 percent bought in. That's interesting. Well, I I, I am, and I, I think I kind of I went through the case, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, and it's been sort of reaffirmed, you know, for the last couple of weeks since then. Where I mean, I mean, part of it is that it's it's the summer and we're doing some other stuff and that it's we're we're a good example of why tv ratings across the board are usually lower during the summer because people are out vacations and whatever um but i mean like i don't know one of the <laughs> one of the big takeaways so far with youtube tv is just just how little i've used it you know and that that's been the case with the tivo for a while where i just i just don't i don't watch stuff on you know like what we at least used to call linear tv very much like it's all just in in these streaming apps that's predominantly what we watch now um so i mean youtube tv's it's nice but it's just you know just i don't i'm not using it every day yeah but you're all in like you're you're going to sp- spend the 65 dollars a month and you're going to excise that part of your subscription from comcast correct yeah 
Uh, so encouraged by you, I decided to do a free trial of YouTube TV mm-hmm. just to see how, how the other half lives. And I, I don't get it. Um, I guess yeah, so, you, you don't get the re- the recording thing. It, that's I don't get of, any the, of it. The, 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 li- the library thing is. I don't like any. Like, yeah. So, so I guess like, so give me before I get into it in terms of like user interface what's give me your 30 second pitch or critique do you do you like it it's it's very googly so not oh you betcha so not like i i mean no surprise right i'm i'm an iphone and mac user so you know i by you know that kind of by definition that means i'm choosing you know not not to use android um i'm i'm not a big fan of their um what what is google's like Design material, design material design yeah i'm not i'm not a huge fan of that and that's very very much what youtube tv is um but you know it's i think there's probably been a similar discussion we've had before on this show about tivo where like the tivo interface especially the new one is bad not great but i just don't i just don't interact with it very much so i just don't really care like if all of a sudden ios sucked and you know apple made Mm -hmm. a ton of Mm -hmm. terrible design decisions like i'd be bummed because the iphone is something i use you know well probably too often like every day um but youtube tv it's like i'm clicking a couple things here and there and yeah it's it's just i don't know it's it's the 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 poor design is just not as big of a deal there Yeah, I, and I have I haven't installed the apps on uh, on Apple TV, so I don't know if it's just the U, the TV YouTube website and the iOS app are bad. I don't know if they get any better on something that like mimics a t like a traditional like eight foot TV viewing experience. But yeah, it's it's not great, and I, and I guess so. One, I just sent you a screenshot, which means I think I think this proves that there's no reason to ever have a TV subscription ever. Because the three recommended shows for me right now are Guy's Grocery Games, something called Dr. Pimple Popper, which apparently is popular now, and something called Love Island. So I think we should shut it all down. Um, coming from a T, like a, a very old school, like TiVo user thing, my, my biggest critique or what I don't like about um, YouTube TV is it's very hard or inefficient to just see what's on like if you well, there's, there's a traditional guide view but no it, but, but if you like, click on live it's it the informa- information density is so bad like it's it's very difficult to just see what's on because i don't know what the sorting is and you only get to see like four channels like per like web browser with like hmm. I don't know. I, that that's the one part that I felt like was the worst of it, and I definitely like will not be continuing after the trial. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't think this is the greatest one. I like I know people like like Merlin Man has had a ton of complaints because he subscribes to um, whatever the Hulu version of this is. I think it's like Hulu Plus Live TV or something. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. This is. Some part of it, some parts of it are very good. I felt like I found the video quality and the responsiveness of the website to be very good. Mm-hmm. Finding content 
like if you if you just wanted to search for a show like i feel like that's very good like if i wanted to if better call Saul was about to come on and i wanted to search for that and add it to my library because apparently you don't record stuff you just add stuff to your library that's very very simple but if i just wanted to know like hey what's on right now and i just like do a little bit of channel surfing this interface is not designed for that at all I, I think you know you're a hundred percent right. Um, I never ever channel surf, so for me that's not an issue at all. I know exactly what I want to watch, and I generally know about when it's on. Or I don't even care when it's on because I just you know, well in the case of the TiVo, I set it to record, and now with YouTube TV, just add it to the library, and it shows up there. Um. And the, and the the DVR and it well so two things one one feature that I that I I understand why it's not that way but I don't like that it's not that way. If I start watching something at like four oh six p.m., I find it annoying and irritating that I can't just pretend I was watching it at four o'clock. Like because you know that like on a technical level, like Google no, already you, has you can you can't like so if I go pick whatever so on nbc right now is something called family game fight and i click on it and it's 9 58 p.m i can't go backwards the the earliest point that i have available to me is 5708 of 59 minutes i can't go back and doesn't give you an option to start from the beginning no only if it was already being recorded Mm, so if i go to back to beginning it goes to 56 minutes and 35 seconds of when i clicked on it Huh. Okay. So that's that's a like I think that sucks. Like if you're late to a show, like you shouldn't be able to go like watch every like because I know for licensing reasons, like you shouldn't be able to go and watch everything that was available that day. I wonder that you think that that's what it must be, right? Where like yeah, but if you're within the same hour, why not? Well, I mean, if if you have you try to rationally explain licensing rules, we're going to be here a long time. But I that that probably just is that is probably the reason. Yeah, and like just the the I I don't like it's the DVR functionality of it. It's it's needlessly complicated. Like I just like I don't I just want to record a show. I don't want every episode I of would, BBC World News to be like in my library. Like I, just I, want I would to almost say it's, I would say I would say the opposite. It's overly simplistic. It doesn't give you any sort of well. So that's the same thing. Custom, oh, yeah, it doesn't give you any sort of customization. It, it's it's. It's almost like it's almost an Apple kind of thing in that way, where it's sort of just like it's meant to just be one of those things where it's like, hey, just like one tap and and you know, we'll take yeah. care of the rest for you. And but it's like, well, if I don't like the way that you're doing this, <laughs> I don't have a way to customize it. Well, yeah. So, so t- having too few options is the exact same as having too many options. Right. Both both stink. Yeah. It's like having over yeah, undersalted think... or oversalted fries. Like it, it's the sa- it's the same thing where. Like, sure, I have, like, this plus button to say I want this in my library, but one, you haven't adequately explained to me what a library is, and also, I just want to know that I can go back to this thing later. Like, right now, if I, like, I'm just on tv.youtube.com, and apparently the Giants may have won or lost, I can't really tell, because it's too minimized, and I click plus, and, like, event added to your library will record it as it airs on live TV. But that doesn't. Ne- but that doesn't necessarily explain what it is. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I will not be renewing. But I'm glad. Like, had you? Do you have any interest in trying 
because isn't there Sling TV and um, Hulu plus live TV or whatever? Like, is this good enough where you have no interest in? Because they're all about the same price, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I assume they're all pretty much paying about, you know, the same fees for this stuff. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I maybe it's it's it's, you know, it's just I don't know. It, it's one of those things where um, f- with how little live TV I watch, it's just it's not a high priority to like sit there and like you pick apart all these different interfaces and seeing which one's a little bit better um, than the other. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and honestly, for me, I would say, and I've, I've said this a few times, like the thing that I value and, and really, honestly, the thing that prompted this whole, um, this whole thing for me was, you know, it's not cost, it's not interface, not any of that. It, it's picture quality. I, I got so fed up with how crappy Comcast's cable TV, um, picture quality was that I wanted something that was going to offer me something better. And that is something I think YouTube TV gets right. Like the, you know, the, the Olympics stuff that was in 4k, you know, it, it looked really good. And I'm again, like, I think I made this comment before too. Like I'm sure like, you know, the, the video nerds out there come at you with the low bit rate and whatever else. But like, I, I, I thought it looked really nice. It looked a hell of a lot better than it would have on NBC broadcast TV on my TiVo. But also that 4K thing, I think they give you a two-month free trial, but otherwise it's like $15 extra all the time. Yeah, so it's, it's actually, it's, so it's 20 bucks extra a month, and they, they package in the 4K stuff and the ability to um, download shows. That, that all comes in that $20 add-on. And I think also you get, um, it's like unlimited concurrent streams at home. I think those three things are kind of bundled together for that $20 add-on. Yeah. Oh, and one, actually, sorry, one last point on this um, that I thought was weird. Um, it gets, the website gets mad at you if you sign, if you try to sign up with a Google, like a Google for business or like a G Suite account. And if you do sign up with like not a personal Gmail account, you are restricted from being able to share your subscription with other family members. Huh. So like if you if you owned like the fretwellfamily.com or something and that like that was your domain name, you can't do family sharing. That's funny because signing up for it with my personal Gmail account like I did, it's actually been like bugging me to set up the whole family sharing thing, <laughs> which like again, because of how little live TV we watch, it's not like the lady friend and I are setting up like elaborate, you know, libraries of stuff like we just mm-hmm. doesn't really matter if we're just all on the same thing because so little's on there anyway yep all right um a couple other super quick uh media things so this actually uh this i i think this will be more of a placeholder that people should go listen to the um recode media episode that peter kafka did but so reese witherspoon has the um her uh production company what, what what is it a production company media company i guess so they don't they don't right. make tv shows they just organize talent and like find stories right no i, th- I think they no i think they they make the shows they produce the shows okay so it's called hello sunshine and they're famous for doing the morning show and i'm not really sure what else but apparently there's somebody who broke off from disney who was supposed to be like the next ceo and they and then that didn't happen, so now he's making his own thing. So he's partnered with a private equity firm to try to 
uh, combine a bunch of production companies to rival um, uh, your Netflixes of the world, or at least make it so that they're not making all the content in-house. But the valuation on the deal is um, $900 million. Pretty interesting. But yeah, people should just go listen to that re- uh, that Recode episode. It was a much more um, informative uh, discussion of that topic than we could possibly ever muster. Well, and, I, and I don't know if... I don't know if this thought was originated on Upgrade or if, if they picked on up on it from elsewhere, but I do think this idea that there's going to be this realization, and maybe this realization is already happening, where companies are going to realize that creating good content is going to become like a very lucrative business because you're going to have the Apples and Disney's and NBC universes of the world who are going to be desperate to try and get their streaming services to to survive and they're going to be paying and are already are paying like outrageous sums of money for for content so it's it's going to be a good time to to be a, a production company yeah but for how many years though because i mean though because the whole point and again i don't i forget what if I'm, I'm sure this is an original thought and again it could possibly be something i heard on a podcast this week but like th- this whole like uh, free money uh like land grab thing is only while people are trying to figure out how the streaming wars are going to shake out and nobody wants to be overpaying for content like they currently are and then hopefully once we know who the establishment players are going to be in this kind of like land rush situation goes away the content will hopefully become cheaper because right now you have so many people who are willing to overpay for something just because they because uh, of FOMO, basically. Yeah, I, I, you're you're probably right. It's not going to last forever. But e- even in the future state where there maybe are only four or five of these major streaming services left, they're also going to be competing with each other and paying a lot for for content. Because no, I mean, none of them I don't think are going to be able to produce all of their own content. I guess Disney basically does, but um, you know that's that's tough to do. Yeah. And the Discovery uh, reported earnings. Uh, they uh, cited in the earnings call that they have um, 17 million uh, direct subscribers, and that um, ad sales are up 12 percent year on year. Um, which is interesting, honestly. Like I, I didn't I, like I had no idea how successful Discovery Plus would be. Like I know there's certain like households like yours that are very much into just having the ability to have that background TV and and, and value that um, extra access and catalog play. But um, yeah, so that's a lot. That's a lot of people for a service that's nine months old. Maybe yeah. I mean I. Th- I, I'm 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 not you know I'm not some TV ratings expert, but I, mean, I think Food Network and HGTV are like really darn popular. So a streaming service that has all of that strikes me as being something that a lot of people are going to be interested in. That's probably true. Like I like I I wouldn't disagree about it being popular, but I would kind of like my my and I don't mean this in 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 a in a dismissive way, but that it's easy viewing where it's popular because it's low mental energy and it just it's just it's i don't know it's like nice to have on the background or it's it's it's, it goes down easy where people actually choosing to make an explicit decision to pay for that content that's something that i thought would have been a harder sell 
Yes and no. I mean, on, on one hand, yeah, you're right. But on the other hand, I mean, they've done they've done the Disney Plus thing where this this it's those things like seven bucks a month, and it will gradually go up in price over time. So it's it's you know being sold at a loss right now, and so that's you know that's how they're getting people in the door. But I guess like that's the thing where if it was any more than seven dollars a month, I feel like again for like if, if that was my thing. If it if it was ten or twelve dollars a month, that that seems too pricey for what it is. Well, I mean, potentially the I know the the lady friend has been getting into some of the um, exclusive stuff that's on there, and I guess a lot it sounds like a lot of that stuff's pretty good. So if they if they continue with that, then I think that that's a way to to keep people and to have people you know willing to pay more for it. She's watching a lot of Bobby and Giada in Italy. It's it's on all the time. Seriously, no. I keep no, seeing we, ads. We both. I keep seeing ads. Oh, you don't. You guys don't like either of them. No, no, we're not. What's not wrong big with fans. I, mean, I don't. I don't I, dislike I, everybody, everybody either hates, of them. Everybody hates Bobby Flay, and they're always trying to beat him. Allegedly, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, but I think I thought everybody liked Giada. I, I mean, I I'm neutral towards is her. She, I is she problematic? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, but I just out of them traveling together in Italy just is just not not on my not on my watch list. Right. And according to FoodNetwork.com, Giada mixes bright Cali cool cuisine and the old school flavors of Italy. So, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, do, do what else in terms of meh, something something NFL and Hulu, um. Yeah. Oh, do you, do you have anything to say about the Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney? Really, it's a big story, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot to say about it. The the only part of it that I I really want to know like the full story of is just how it got to this point. It just seems like I mean this movie got delayed for well over a year, so it just seems like I guess all the parties would have had time to figure this out and i don't know maybe they tried and it and disney at some point just said screw it we're just gonna release it and we'll deal with the fallout after but i guess what would her point have been that just like nope keep pushing it keep pushing it until like 2022 yeah i don't i don't know that that's that yeah that's the other part of it too is i i don't I'm I mean, not sure what the end game would it be. I mean, so just to summarize it, uh, Scarlett Johansson is leaving the Marvel franchise family, and there's a movie called Black Widow, uh, which she had managed to do a type of compensation deal where she would get a percentage of gross box office receipts, um, which some like A-list actors are able to swing and. This was signed back in 2018 before streaming services were really a thing or or were that crucial to the business models of many media companies. And because Black Widow was one of the things that um, got debuted on streaming, but also under the umbrella of, is it called Premium Access? Premier Access, I think. Yes. Um, for $30 a pop, and Disney even specified that 2 million people paid that, so that was basically the equivalent of $60 million in box office receipts. And there there was also a day and date, or like it was also released in theaters for people who were comfortable with that type of 
risk or or wanted that type of experience. But basically, her she sued Disney in a very public way and um, is alleging that they cost her uh, possibly thirty million dollars. And also, there's a whole lot of other stuff where she is mad that Disney, uh, uh, which I think was which was actually pretty pretty ballsy and great, uh, outed that she had already been paid twenty million dollars. So they're trying to spend the whole well, this is this is just a greedy actress. Um, or somebody who already has tons and tons of money, and why are they doing this to to poor old Disney? And then she's trying to spin it that most executive compensation at Disney right now is tied to Disney Plus subscriber targets, and it was in their interest for her to make it for them to have her make less money. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all all of this is it, it. It's really it's really interesting. Um, it, it, there are there's a couple layers to this though like the, the first is that there is a very like there's there's a part of this that's going to resolve itself and there's a part of it that i mean it, i guess will resolve somehow at some point but it's going to be a lot more complicated like the part that's going to resolve itself is that and that this applies to the whole hbo max thing too this year where there's this set of movies that was supposed to come out last year that weren't able to that all the studios are kind of figuring out what to do with now. And so they had contracts and deals set up in a pre-COVID world and then tried to be released in a COVID world. And reconciling those two things, as this example shows, is is basically impossible. So there's just there's going to be conflict and disagreement there. And there has been, right? Now, like everybody now when people sign deals like they're aware of the way that COVID has has shifted movie viewing habits and so this stuff will be taken into account now so you won't you won't have the you know breaches of contract allegations or whatnot that's coming up in this Black Widow example but and this gets into the thing that's a lot more complicated which is like what is that what is that new deal structure now you know now if there's not you know, two percent of box office receipts or whatever the standard stuff's been in the past. Like, what's going to replace that? And that—that's the fascinating part. Mm-hmm. Yep, you betcha. All right. And I was—I was, I was kind of—I was thinking about it. I was actually talking to the the lady friend about this. Like, you know, like coming at this from like a very like accountant perspective, like you'd expect us to. Like, part of me wonders if if actors are going to instead of box office receipts maybe want like equity in these companies potentially no yeah, like yeah i don't no. i don't because box office receipts is very much sort of a a thing that you have a lot more direct control over like you know presumably if you, if you feel like you make a good movie that's going to do better in the theaters whereas you know equity is and the price of equity is a factor of many many different things most of which are totally out of your control um but i don't know but i I just we were kind of thinking like is that is that a possible alternative because i don't don't know what else there is no i mean i like i feel like there might be a point where you get to some state where you can ascribe like a totality of like economic benefit or like of all revenues related to a film so maybe if you're um who voices buzz Lightyear or or uh, or woody uh you're you're tom hanks right tom hanks yeah Mm -hmm. and you're like i i want to to do toy story 18 i want 
two and a half percent of all money associated with it. So he somehow gets a cut of merchandising and everything else. Like I feel like when you think of these movies as being like entire ecosystems of of capitalism, like oh man, I haven't been logging show titles this whole episode. Damn it. Um <laughs> Well, fine. That's it. Um, like, I maybe that's what you do because, and this is maybe something I've stolen from somewhere else. But like, the media companies seem to be pushing super hard into having kind of um, uh, talent agnostic of uh, IP, where it matters more that you have the stories and the VFX and the stuff that will make somebody want to watch whatever the new star Wars is, but whether or not it includes, I can't name a single person who's in a star Wars movie, but whether or not they're involved in the next one is actually not really that important. So therefore these types of deals won't really be that way anymore. Again, this may all be from that that same Recode Media episode, which again is a very very good podcast. Well, so that, I mean, yeah, that I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I guess the thing I sort of push back a little bit on is that there are so few Marvels and Disney and uh, Star Wars type franchises that, I mean, you could even really make a case like it's those two kind of on their own level and there's really nothing else quite like them. Well, but then you, then you take the, the Netflix approach where you just, you just, or, or the Samsung approach and you just throw a bunch of shit at the wall. Like you don't need to attach your, your Robert Downey juniors or whatever and pay them so much money when it's not a sure thing because, well, cause that's been his whole deal is that he is paid so much money and that people involved in the Marvel franchises were getting these deals because they were done in an entirely different era. I don't know. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it feels I, like the economics yeah. have to change just because streaming inherently means not kind of the way that AT&T and HBO or, or that Warner Media are kind of destroying all the all the value that HBO has, but it is kind of a quantity play. So therefore, having something where who who's who's a big name young actor like is timothy chalamet a person <laughs> i have no idea maybe okay or 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 your daniel radcliffe's or whatever whoever whoever's hot in hollywood your bob odenkirk's like they <laughs> oh, he's 50 um he's um like i don't think they get to dictate terms that much anymore just because the, the name of the game is changing like, I I don't know, man. Like, I mean, how many more of these Fast and Furious movies can they make? And it seems uh, like I don't know. Like, so I, I don't I don't know any of this, but like, this lawsuit seems very much of a of, of a bridging of two eras, where you have contracts that were written before streaming was the future, and streaming being the future means that contracts like those won't exist anymore. I think, yeah, I think bridging the futures are really, or kind of bridging these two eras, that's a really good phrase to use because that, that's clearly what we're in the middle of right now. Like there's no, there's, it, I mean, it was already happening 
and, and and would have happened without COVID, but like that's all accelerated everything now where, I mean, things are, things with movie theaters and movie releases in general are never going back fully to the way that they were. Yeah. Like theaters will, theaters will still play a part, no doubt, but, but never, never in the way that they used to. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's round this out with some Apple stuff. This should go by pretty quick soon as well. Um, oh man. Okay. Well, this is, this is mostly going to be a, a bookend or a bookmark that you can put in the show notes to upgrade because Jason, um, went to town on this, which is something that I've been complaining about for six years that I just get so mad about is that if you went to, if you went to distore.apple.com, it wouldn't take you where you needed to go. Cause like come 2015 apple made this decision where oh yeah there is no store the whole website's the store and i've always been very much of the fucked that opinion like because it it was just always so hard to just find how do i find where to buy a magsafe charger or power beats or a USB-C to USB-A adapter and you have to go to the macbook pro website or product page scroll down that those damn like 5,000 scroll wheel thingies to get to the accessory section. And hopefully it's there. Um, yeah. Store.apple.com is the thing again. Yay. Yeah. And you know, I guess the, the reason I put this in the notes is much of the same reasons that, um, my, I guess upgrade got into this a little bit, but like my, my main takeaway from this is that, it feels like so much of what Apple's been doing and is rumored to be doing like the rest of this year is in so many ways, just going back to the way that things were with Apple, like basically kind of undoing uh, a lot of the decisions that have been made over the last handful of years. Give me an example of something else that falls under that umbrella. I mean, I think that the biggest thing are the laptops. Oh, okay. Where, you know, assuming that these MacBook pros are what they're rumored to be, they're, they're going to be remarkably similar to the way they were five years ago. Um, and I, you know, like obviously like the keyboard with, with their even non-pro laptops was, was a good example of this too, where Apple made a really crummy decision with the keyboard and they basically went back to the way that it was. And they're seeing, and like, I think, I mean the whole Apple retail experience too, like putting aside the online store, like I think Apple retail too has, gotten away from the like town square nonsense and all that and has just gone back to being you know more of a traditional retail store um so it just it, it does feel like there's kind of a a reversion that's happening at apple which i don't which i don't think is a bad thing i mean i think in a lot of ways it's a good thing because i think a lot of the decisions that they've made the last handful of years have been have been poor but it is just it's a bummer that <laughs> it's a bummer that what we're getting excited about the company is that they're going back to the way that they did things a few years ago when technology companies are usually all about continuing to push forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will maybe briefly get back to a bad decision they're making this year. Apple is also going to make new iPhones that, uh, and, and what, uh, Mark Gurman, or I'm not sure if it was tech meme that, uh, editorialized this or if it was Gurman itself, but the framing, whatever the 12 S or the 13, um, this year's iPhone update is going to be fairly minor. It sounds like the 
bigger features are going to be potentially a ProMotion-ish display, um, ProRes, and a few other um, improvements to the camera on the Pro line, and a smaller notch, but a notch that is not gone. Wait, Carlos, are you telling me that Apple is going on an iPhone strategy where they revise the look of the phone and then the following year come out with a very similar looking phone that's faster and has a lot of internal improvements? Are you saying that's what they're doing? That's crazy. They've never done that before. I don't know. I was more of the camp that I was worried that they couldn't innovate anymore somebody's ass. Um, (laughs) And that's why the 30% cut is still here. Uh, I mean, um, these, these, I like, I'm sure, God, even if you go back years on this show, I've probably ranted about this before. But this iPhone rumor cycle thing is, it's so stupid and it's so predictable. Like, Apple's iPhone strategy has been the same for like literally a decade now. So, like, I mean, I, I, I mean, like, no offense to Mark Gurman, but I could have written this article. Like, of course, this is what this year's iPhone's going to be. It's, well, it's but, the, it's the, but you know, it... they don't, they don't call these phones like, the S phones anymore for, for reasons that are, you know, exactly what this article lays out where it's, it's the same looking phone, but it's got better stuff. But like, I mean, that, that's what they, that's what they've been doing forever now. But so I, mean, I guess, I guess is. maybe like I've been out of the rumor cycle, but I feel like the rumors this year were getting out of whack or where, where there was kind of lofty expectations for what was happening this year. Like, I don't remember what the, no, am, am no I, that's, you're you're i think you might be thinking of last year like people were for quite a while looking at last year's phones and then thinking that was going to be a big upgrade but no I, the rumors for, for this year have always been this is this is going to be the iphone 12 s year and they're again they're not going to call it that but that's what it's going to be got it yeah i mean right. i just yeah i just i don't yeah of course better screen better cameras faster processor yeah of course that's what the new iphone's going to be and then to round out the show, and again, you can just put yourself on mute for a minute. Uh, a controversial bit of, of Apple news this week. I'm not going to talk about it at length because um, as many podcasts as we have shown, it is a minefield and also makes a really awkward show. But uh, Apple has unveiled that there is going to be new technology that runs on your phone locally uh, that uh searches a device if you are opted into iCloud photo library uh that searches images that you might potentially upload or that, that you would ultimately upload to the cloud uh against uh, a database of offending images that have been um identified as um exploitative or, or I, I I don't remember what the, the new terminology is for C Sam. What would it stand for? Uh, that I don't recall. Yeah, that's the, um, it is child sexual abuse material. So that, that, so that's, that's the story. Um, this is something that many other companies have been doing in the cloud. Um, Dropbox, Google photos, Microsoft, OneDrive, all that kind of stuff do that as well. The interesting part about this or, uh, is that it is happening on device, but only happens and this has been clarified um after this story came out that it only happens if you they were going to go to the cloud so if you're somebody who has opted out of iCloud entirely this does not run and i don't really want to talk about the actual intent or purpose or any of that kind of stuff like i think it's been talked about to death my main 
30 second thing I would want to say here is that one, this is bad. This is um, when you build a tool that can be given a certain amount of input and uh, to identify certain content types on somebody's device, you've built something that can be abused by governments and um, anybody who wants to to look for something on a customer's private device. And once you've made that tool, you kind of have opened up Pandora's box. And I'm not and I'm not using the easy example that everybody uses about China. Like, depending on the, if you have a the, the U.S. government has done many things in secret, and and having the ability for this type of sur- mass surveillance, that the only safeguard that we have is that Apple hopefully says no when somebody asks them to do the wrong thing, is not a great place to be in. Um. So yeah, this this uh, is super worrying to me. I don't love it. And like with many other things in politics and government and regulatory and surveillance overreach, people will always use think of the children and public safety. And that's how we got the Patriot Act. That's how we got so many things that have uh, made people less uh, secure in their communications and everything. I, I, I don't love this at all and i feel like this is one of the things where people saying slippery slope is not uh an understatement at all yeah i don't love this like the the intent as stated is great who doesn't want to prevent abuse uh against children and then the technology obviously facilitates a lot of terrible stuff but this is this is the first step in a lot of bad stuff so anyway so I, I think everything you just said is is spot on. I don't I don't disagree with a word of it. I, I guess one thought that came to mind though is is wasn't everything you just said basically already true? No. Because up until that point, iOS never had something where you could feed like something b- baked into the core of the operating system that you, it, let's say we have another like 2024 we're back in a a, a alt-right semi-authoritarian regime and there's some type of idea that the somehow the apple gets forced to monitor for you now have before apple could say no we don't have the ability or tools to find out who is sharing or possesses such like this pdf on their phone or this type of content that was not available now it is sure it's being framed in the very very limited scope of something that could allegedly protect children but now we have something where it, it it's out there this is now something that can you, you're it's just an input that could be fed and you're just all you're hoping for is that apple says no to adjusting the parameters of what's being looked for well but i guess what i'm saying is isn't your hypothetical scenario still true if even if this particular technology didn't exist? No. Couldn't the government say we'll build that technology and then it's but the they same wouldn't have thing to. all because you, well, you... but it, but it, but it, so whether Apple's not building the technology or not adding hashes to a, to a database aren't aren't both scenarios hinging on Apple saying no? 
Sure, but then you would know that when you buy the technology. Uh, I, I guess my, my point here is that like, ever since we've all started using iPhones, we've been at the mercy of decisions that Apple makes. And, and we're, I, to me, we're not in a terribly different position today than we were yesterday. Like we, we've, we've always given Apple way too, all these tech companies, way too much power and are all very much just at the mercy of their policy the, decisions. The difference that I would point to is that those compromises have generally related to cloud services. Like, you know, like I, I understand that if somehow I get caught up in some investigation of something and somehow somebody gets a warrant for my Dropbox, like I, I, I understand that that content has left my computer and it's potentially searchable, hopefully through the very efficient and effective U.S. justice system. But the diff the difference here is that this search, this um, content searching is happening locally on your device before it ever hits Apple servers. But isn't it, is it, there's not anything you can do with the data totally on device, is there? Isn't, isn't there a piece of it that the data only becomes useful or activated once these images are uploaded to the cloud? Not necessarily. Like you couldn't just like the whole steal someone's phone and like, this like this information's not going to benefit you or allow you to gain any sort of access to that person's phone that you wouldn't pre this technology, right? Kind of. Like because the whole point is like that the, the the reason why it's happening on device allegedly is that it allows Apple to hopefully have a better case to have end-to-end -end encryption remain the norm. So Facebook and many other companies are able to scan for this type of objectionable and illegal and, and horror, horrible material because it, it ends up on, on their servers and they're able to search for it against the database of, of bad stuff. My, my, my issue is that, that what, what is, depending on who's in power or who can force somebody to do something, um, that, that the scope of what is deemed bad uh, can change and could stifle free speech and um, lawful resistance to government over. Like there's the whole lot of stuff where just having this out there is, is, is not great. And I'm super shocked that Apple was the first one to kind of dive into this. Uh, it just feels like a weird bandaid to rip off. Um, and it feels very much at odds with their whole privacy thing because they came out with like a, a frequently asked questions thing a couple of days later to help explain some of their positions. And again, for the most part, like they were, their thing was just, they were shocked that people don't trust them as much as they should. But the gist of their answers was basically, well, we're Apple and we would just say no if somebody told us to do something wrong. And I don't feel like that's that, uh, I don't think you can take that to the bank. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from this. Like this is, this is, I just wanted to kind of, explain that my biggest complaint is that many many bad things in, in in u.s government overreach has happened because people always say think of the children think of public safety think of like yeah i'm I'm, not, I'm definitely not an edward snowden type or any of that kind of nonsense but like it's 
Yeah. It's, you, 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 could, you could do a lot of bad when you're saying you're trying to help a very particular group. Yeah, again, I, I'm, I'm totally, I'm not disagreeing with anything. I'm just saying, like, this has always been a risk and always will be a risk with these, well, sure, with these big tech companies. So I, I just, but, but, it, I, but it didn't exist I don't, before. But it, but it always could have. Like, well, it, sure. we were, we were always one decision like this away. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that this necessarily make like i think i think we were already in a risky position with these companies so this sure maybe this is a bit more risky now but it doesn't it's not as if we were totally safe before and now no not at we're all we're at risk not at all so that, that, that's my point but it, it, it's it's yeah yeah well we'll move on but yeah it's it's uh yeah chef specials <laughs> um as a hell of a segue all right um <laughs> Oh, okay. you, you always go first. Good. Yeah, I've, yeah. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> I've got one that either you're already aware of and are just going to laugh at me that I didn't know about already, or that Never. I think you're really going to appreciate. Um. So I've. So we, I mean, we've discussed many times on this show the the wonder drug that is Advil. I think for a, a long time, one of our Slack channel phrases was something like. Please oh. direct me to the Advil aisle or something. I think um, I think podcast ideas always had uh, Advil as an aisle G thirty two sir. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's exactly right. Um, and yeah, you know, I've always I don't know for whatever reason I've always preferred the liquid gels. I don't know why. It's just mm. it's just what I've always taken. But the the critique you can make about those is that that they well as I'm about to get into used to be big, and so mm-hmm. they were you know kind of difficult to to take Tough um, to and so t- <laughs> <laughs> one might say um so you know the 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 household advil supply was running low here recently and so more more needed to be procured and i you know searched for advil liquid gels and advil liquid gel minis were the first thing to come up which i which i had not seen before and at first I thought, well, like, what is this nonsense? Is this going to be some like 100 milligram half dose thing? Like what, what's what's happening here? Uh, but no, it, it's the same 200 milligram liquid gel capsule thing, but like something like 30% smaller. That's great. Revolutionary new Advil technology. And the Amazon page <laughs> says this has been around since... 2018. So I guess this uh, new is maybe doing a bit of work in that sentence, but new to me at least. Interesting. Um, you're absolutely right. Where yeah, those liquid gels. Because any, and again, this is um, like, are you a fan, are you a fan of Jesus? <laughs> Do you take Dayquil ever? Like in a, in a pre-COVID era, where you just sometimes just got a like a flu or a cold. Yeah. What was your what was your remedy for that? So I, yeah, I used to be really like, give me all the different cold medicines and stuff, but I usually find that just, just straight up Advil usually works best for me. So I just, if I'm feeling under the weather, I just, I'll just load up on the Advil. You know, I'll, I'll take three. Got it. Which um, I've talked to my doctor about before. Like it's, I'm not, not, you know, not going crazy on Advil here, but, but that's, that's usually my thing is I'll just, just, yeah, load up on the Advil. And I think, like, when you look at the Dayquil stuff, like, isn't 
usually like a top ingredient ibuprofen anyway? no it, it's, it's it's basically it's it's a set a set of metafin and uh something that starts with p phenols uh whatever um yeah it, it's it's very much tylenol basing but the reason i bring that up is that it um those liquid capsule things are fucking huge <laughs> or especially are, a lot yeah. of times when you're sick like sometimes your your throat is a little bit um like swollen Right. And it's way so that's where I've never understood because I've seen there's always like the on TV like sometimes you're watching uh, like MSNBC and you're like hate watching Rachel Maddow you see all like the old people ads and you see fast acrid liquid gels from like Advil or Tylenol or whatever but they're like allegedly they work quicker but the pills are enormous so yeah I did not know there was a mini version um but yeah that's huh, that's interesting because I've always like the um. I won, Advil. This is gonna sound weird. Kind of tasty. Like if you just go for the just the standard like just um, like brown ones, they have kind of like that candy coating a little bit. Like I'm not I'm not popping Advil like the Reeses or something, but like they they're very very small and easy to swallow, and they also have kind of that like little oh the standard coating, kind of tasty. Um, but yeah, but allegedly the liquid gels have uh deliver the um uh, the medicine faster. So yeah, yeah. Cool. And this, and, these these are these are I guess sort of like kind of the only option now. Like if you look just for like mm-hmm. regular liquid gels, the these the minis seem to have basically replaced them. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of which is how I found them. Yeah, it's like when you don't you don't see CRT uh, CRT monitors anymore. It's all it's all flat screens. Yeah, yeah, this is the OLED of of Advil, <laughs> um, and you're in for two hundred. So, all right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I got nothing. <laughs>